0: Thank you. I appreciate that. We're done. (laughs) Don't want to mess with with perfection, obviously, there. Um, It's just I said it this morning, going to say it again. And I'm going to say it again with emphasis. It is so awesome to be with you guys. I mean, just so awesome. I've been around the world, Um, from Nigeria, Canada, France, England. I mean any group of God's people, love the Lord, love each other, is just awesome to be with. You guys, I don't know, there's something, maybe a cut above, I don't know, you know? And no I don't say that to everybody, but really it is, it's just special. It's just so amazing, the songs are just, you know. Okay then, let's talk for a minute about a passage that you probably know pretty well. Look at uh, Luke chapter 15, probably know it pretty well, hopefully we can make a little spin on it this morning, okay? But before we read it, I want to kind of put a kind of frame around it for our consideration. Maybe we could think about this as we're kind of going through it. I kind of ran it by the first group this morning, and there was, some, uh, there was a suggestion, which I appreciated. Um, because so much about sort of our Christian experience is, is, especially if we're engaged with the Word of God and with God's people, you get these phrases, right? And, and they're sort of like, what does that mean? But we don't ever ask that, we just say them, because mostly people, you know, yeah, awesome. Right? Okay. Kind of helps, you know, smooth the journey through all those uncomfortable situations with people you don't know. And it's like, you know, Lord bless you. Got it. That's a good one. Okay. Um, one, of the, one of the phrases you get that gets passed around is with regard to our life, right? What does Jesus say? You need to hate your life if you're gonna be my disciple. I always related to that. <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm good. You know, I don't know what else I got to do. I'm kind of hating who I am, kind of hating my life. I must be a disciple. I must be a really good disciple. Because I got some hate deep, you know, and wide, and, you know, the whole deal. And I was reading a book. There's, I read books, a lot of books. Um, and, I, and I came across this little phrase. that was in a book by Dallas Willard called Renovation of the Heart. If you're really bold and kind of want to dive into the deep end, you can jump into to that book. i got to say, it's changed my life. It's changed the way I look at things. But one of the little phrases he uses, and went sort of towards the end, we'll put it in the context of how he uses it. He says, he asks this question. Do you love your life and who you are? And I got reminded this morning that both in Christian circles and, of course, in the world, you put that thing out there. And there's all kinds of interpretations about what we mean there. This is all about ego and self-esteem and blah, 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 blah And let's count the treasures and see how far we've gone and progressed. And, um, and again, I, I'm kind of into that hate in my life and who I am. That's just kind of the way I'm built. And yet here's this phrase, and Dallas Willard is saying, do you love your life and who you are and I'm going wait a minute so let's take and really consider that let's use that as the frame for our our, our sort of consideration of a passage that we all kind of know and ask this question if, if what is the life that in this case Dallas Willard is talking about and what is he talking about with regard to my identity is this just about pumping one another up blowing smoke Oh, did I say that right? It's like you're awesome, you're awesome and then behind their back it's like man do you know what they do? It's not like we're gonna take that all out of the equation this morning if we can but we're gonna still focus in on that idea of what about what is my life what is my life and who am I and how does it relate to this passage which like I said we're probably all familiar with in Luke 15 verse 11 He said a man had two sons and and just for a little context here um, this is the third of the lost and found parables okay the first two parables what was lost and again I don't want to de-emphasize or devalue it in any kind of way was what first two parables what he's saying is the one among many is still the one and that shepherd's gonna go and find that one because that one is valuable that lady, we talked about it this morning, how do you, you got 10 coins, how do you lose one? Right? I mean, you're a poor person. <laughs> if I had 10 coins and I was a poor person, I mean, they'd be in a sack, I'd be carrying around, I'd be, they'd be under my pillow when I slept, I mean, I would, and yet somehow or another one of them went missing. And the woman lights a light, she's going to look at it and got the can. You know, the high-intensity Zeon flashlight out under the beds We're sweeping. We're going to find this thing. And she found it. Shepherd found the sheep that went wandering off. For whatever reason, sheep would wander off. And a woman found the coin. And in here, the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, we've got a man with two sons. The younger of them said to his father, verse 12, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Loose living. That's an interesting phrase, And you know, Sometimes you got to just like James says, slow down, read it. How do you live loosely, right? Well, I'm kind of all bound up. But somehow or another, he discovered the secret of loose living. <laughs> and it says, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in, the, in that country. And he began to be impoverished. So he went, hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up, came to his father, but while he was still, a long way off. His father saw him, felt compassion for him, and ran, braced him, kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry, was not willing to go in, and his father came out, began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him and he said to him son you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this your brother or this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found just an awesome story right one of those ones you just want to go back to and back to and back to and at least in my Christian experience, always been kind of framed up as sort of the salvation story, right? So you go to this, you preach the gospel tell people look it doesn't matter, sitting in the pigsty, eating carob pods, which I guess is what they fed them. Don't matter. God will receive you. Income. Oh, okay. I'm all for, you know, I mean, that's a compelling message. But really the context of his two sons of a prominent man, okay, who had wealth, position. So we're, we're, we're not really telling the gospel story. And if you think of the context of who Jesus is speaking to, he's got, you know, publicans and sinners, which is sort of the renegades. And then he's got the Pharisees and the scribes who are just looking for an opportunity to pounce. I, I have this vision in my head of them. They're like, there was that Disney show that had the vultures and they're all on the branches like, oh, what are you going to do? What do you want to do? I don't know. Let's, let's listen, see if we can jump on him and pounce on him, find something to accuse him of. Right? It's a, those, are, those are scribes and Pharisees in my brain. I don't know how it works for you. Okay? It's kind of a tokeny thing, I guess. I don't know. Because they're always just hovering, okay? never engaging. In chapter 14, just before um, the parable, He's talking about discipleship, right? This <laughs> the love of your life thing doesn't show up there. Um, and he says at the very end, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Who's inclined? Who has an interest? You know, who's just sort of leaning in that direction? Listen, just listen. Maybe there's something here for you. And so, and so the parables then are the lost and found parables are addressed to, the, to these folks. Something's resonating. I'm sure that when you get to the idea of sons and the father and privilege and inheritance, all of a sudden, you know, there's a little message there for the Pharisees who figured they were the sons of the father and they had the privilege and they had the position. And here's this story of one of them, this young guy who decides to take life in a different direction, okay? We're going to think about three things, because I I don't want to call this the parable of the prodigal son. I just don't understand why he gets top billing. I just don't understand why he gets, you know, names and lights. To me, this is the parable of the father's heart. Because there, in this, to me, there's two lost sons. One of them discovered loose living, and the other one was all bound up. Okay? There was the younger son and the elder son. So we're going to think a little bit about two lost sons. And then we're going to explore what to me is just like, it's, it's one of those things where you got words and then you just, they're just not going to work. I know they're not going to work, right? To communicate fully the heart of the father, you kind of got to read it, go slow think about it and absorb it for yourself, but we'll make some suggestions on what you can meditate on, well, the, song, the songs you guys sing. I don't know, I, really. All I want to do is cry in here for some reason. <laughs> okay? Really, it's just that, it is, it's that powerful in, in so many ways. And then we want to talk about the way home. We all need to find the way home. And, and, and the home, to me, is getting to the place where I can say, I love my life and who I am. I love my life, not in that sort of ego, maniacal, you know, kind of deal. Because I see the reality of God, what God says about my life and who I am. This is a weird thing. Okay, I don't know if you've ever kind of thought about this, but we are. Yeah, exactly. I didn't do this. Okay? I didn't do this. I didn't make me. We're created beings. Who are we? Could I love that if I knew the truth of who I was? And what is my life? Could I love that if I knew what God says about it? Right? Rather than what I think about it or my culture says about it or any of those things. What if, what, if I, what if I really understood what God said about it? The value of it, the substance of it. Could I love it? And I know from the first service, I know there's, I could feel it. It's like you, know, you don't know my life. I mean there's piles of piles. There's a dumpster fire over here. I got three little ones. Fortunately, they're in Sunday school this morning. <laughs> okay? I get some peace. I get a little quiet time with God. You don't understand. I'm not sure I love that. But could we step away a little bit and, and, and a step away from fixating on the circumstances? And could we step back into what is what God says about the value, the substance, the depth, the reality of my life, the significance of my life, and what he says about who I am. So that's the framework here. Two lost sons that lost sight of who they were and the significance of their life. You got the younger son, right? He's called the prodigal. (laughs) Okay. Frustrated, disgruntled, Jealous, he's a second son. Jewish tradition, first son got two pieces. Everybody else got one of the inheritance. Second son's never gonna be first son. Never gonna get two. I told the group this morning, I said, I'm, an old, I'm the eldest. I understand why the eldest gets two. Okay, you go first, right? Your parents learn on you. This is not good, I, I, I'm a woodworker, okay? Let me tell you, that first trial of that piece, not so happy. I mean, it'll stand up, right? (laughs) But you got to use a lot of glue and nails. I understand the first. I want two pieces. I paid twice as much to get there, okay? But the second son, I've got three brothers. There's always competition. They always look and say, "Ah, you know, I'm never going to get that. I'm never going to be that. And it's all true. Life is, right? I mean, just deal with it. So he's aware of this limited opportunity. He's fearful, hey, I'm not going to really be able to live life to the full. And so he demands his inheritance from his father. So give me my share. Okay, first decision made. Stand up to dad, I'm going to get mine now. Again, if, you know, convention is you wait for dad to die before you divide the goodies, okay. But interestingly enough, he allows it. So he takes it and he immediately gets it out to a really savvy investment person, invests all that stuff, watches it rise, becomes really wealthy, starts a charity, does a whole bunch of, no, oh, I'm sorry, I must have misread that, okay, yeah. He went on a journey into a distant country, and, and he squandered it all in loose living. <laughs> okay, implies there was a very little discipline to his, you know, aberrant behavior. He says now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine co- uh, occurred in the county (verse 14, Country, and he began to be in poverty. So he went and hired himself out, got a job. Right, that's what they always tell you. Right, what's the answer to your problem? Get a job. Earn some money. Be responsible. So he got a job. And they sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. And, but nobody was giving him anything. How, I mean, talked about in the morning. So, so you spiral down through all of your inheritance. And and you spiral down in loose living, and you decide to be responsible and get a job, and you end up in the pigsty, which was just an awesome place for a guy of position and place and substance, right? Feeding pigs going, I wish they'd invite me to dinner, because I've got nothing. And there he is, sitting there. And then he decides, he has a change of mind. And maybe you're sitting there, and you're thinking, you know what? That whole pig thing seems a little familiar to me. I'm not unfamiliar with, uh, hey, could you share a couple of pods? You know, how about? I've ended up in the very bottom. Then it says, he had a, a change of mind. He came to his senses. He looked around. He goes, wait a minute. He thought back. He says, my, my father's servants, I mean, they have all they want to eat they've got bread in abundance i'm trying to sneak food off a pig's plate Hmm. this is not good i'm not in a good place and what does he say after he comes to his senses he says, I will get up and I will go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hearts. Just feed me. I just need to eat. And it struck me as I read this for the first time. I mean, such a base instinct, right? It's like of all the reasons to repent, maybe there could be something a little nobler. <laughs> you know, like I really want to be, you know... Aligned with God and communion with God. I really want to... No, nope. I just need something to eat. And I, and I said this morning, and I, and I, and I mean it, it's we, need, we can't denigrate whatever it is that moves us back to God, okay? Regardless, if it's I need to eat something, I'm willing to turn from my dumpster fire of a life and turn to God and allow him to once again bring me into the fullness of what I enjoyed. Then so be it. There's nothing. Nothing bad about that. But he does. He turns, comes back to God. Or, or turns and, and heads back towards his father's house. So that's the one son. right? That's, that's the one we put on the, the marquee. But there's another lost son. He's at the end. If you look at 27 or 25. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring, what's going on? He came to him and said, your, father, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he was received, has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you. And one translation says, I've been slaving for you. Okay? <laughs> and yet you never, have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. Goat was like common food, right? He's saying to his dad, yeah, look at this. I mean you have so little regard for me and my hard work and my slaving and and my obedience, you never even gave me a goat to celebrate with my friends. Okay, I, I think this guy's a little lost, right? A little lost. This elder son, he's angry, he's bitter against his brother. Have you ever thought about it? Here's his brother, redeemed from all of that, and his thing is, Anger? I kind of understand it. I have three brothers. Right? I mean, you can get hurt and offended and wounded by people in your family to the point where even when there's a turn in their lives, you're like No, nah, doesn't fly. He's unloving, he's contemptuous, he's entitled. He's the firstborn. <clears throat> no joy in the return of his son or his brother. He, I think at the, the, the kind of sense you get is he didn't want his brother to get away with it. Right? Here we were, we're working together, we're brothers, we're doing this thing, right? For dad, with dad, blah, blah, and you took off. You took off and had a good time, didn't you? In fact, you ended up with the pigs. Okay. But, you abandoned me. You left me with all the responsibility. You left me with all the pressure. Here's that resentment, building over time. And the all of the Father, and being with the Father, was not enough for him. Remember what he, the Father says at the very end? He verse 31, and he said to him, Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. That wasn't enough. And you go, whoa, okay. So I guess the question is, who do I identify with? And maybe it's sort of both, right? We get in that place as the elder son, and we're doing for God, right? We're doing for God. We're slaving for God. And we're doing everything he said and hating every minute of it, right? Because we've lost the focus. We've lost the sense of what our life is and how it's involved and how it's engaged and who we are, we've kind of lost the sense. We have got all caught up in our emotions and the younger brother's running off going, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have life, I gotta do some things. And the elder brother's going, oh, "You." Wish you would have died and the pigs die. Then we wouldn't have to deal with all this. Jealousy and all those kinds of things. So now you've got two lost sons, and in the middle of that, you've got the father's heart. And I don't know, Brother, I just don't know. You know, all of us, we got our stories, right? Maybe we're not that and we're not this, but we're some combination of those. And we're sitting there, and we're, some of us, you know, we get smug, don't we? Like we got it together and life's real good. Life's real good because I'm not going through any trials now and the bank account's pretty high and the kids are quiet. Life's good. Life's good. And maybe it's not because inwardly we're seething, we're resentful, we're comparing, we're holding grudges, we're not forgiving. And couples. Yeah, don't tell me you haven't done that. Okay? Okay. <laughs> Don't, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. I'm not wrathing. <laughs> okay. All right, it's all about the words you use, right? Okay. So here we are in the middle of all this, radiant expression of the father's heart. A magnitude of his love is his mercy, his compassion. You'll notice in the beginning he didn't resist when his son said, give me. Maybe it's a lesson for us parents. Every now and then, you got to let life teach lessons, right? But think of it this way. Think of the amazing grace and, 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 and dignity and privilege that God's given us with the ability to choose. You know that? God didn't create robots. Okay? No AI. All right? He created us and gave us the opportunity to choose, to make decisions. And then the father let him do it, right? It's like, yeah, you can make those decisions. No, you cannot do that, okay? If you're gonna run away and live loosely, you do it on your own dime. Not getting my point, right? No, was willing to just let that part of life happened for his son. <clears throat> but it's not like he gave up, right? Because he says in, what verse is it? <clears throat> verse 20. But while he, the son, was still a long way off. Now what does that, what does that say to you? It wasn't like the, the, the father just randomly happened out onto the porch, was looking off into the sunset, thinking deep thoughts, and it's like, oh, Oh wait a minute, I think that's my son. No, there was this intensity of expectation. I'm sure it was daily, looking, 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 hoping, expecting, longing for the return of his son. Do you see, like I, say, I said this morning, I said sometimes, at least for me, for me, for me, you guys are probably really great um, at it, but I get such a twisted vision of God. Such a twisted vision of him. It's like, yeah, I'm the guy. Okay, I'm in the, I'm in the, sitting in the swine, you know, pig, pig thing, and and God's, you know, he's just not that interested. I had this vision of God because I have God, uh, you, for guys maybe, you know, God and their father sometimes get in, you know, confused in our minds, the way my dad was. That's the way I thought about God. He was on the other side of the room, and he didn't hate me. At least he said that. He didn't hate me, but he's on the other side of the room. And between me and him is all, this, all my stuff, right? He doesn't hate me, but he's looking kind of askance, a little disappointed. No, a lot disappointed. A little frustrated. No, a lot frustrated. You know, I, I just, I expected more from you. Look at this. Do you ever sleep? I mean, this just thing piles up, piles up. Failure, this, that, bad choices. Don't you ever sleep? Really, expected better of you. That was my vision of God. So what do you do? You work and you work and you work and you try and you do and you do to try and achieve what God says you've been freely given. <laughs> really? How twisted is that, right? And this is my glorious Christian life, okay? And I'm inviting you into it, (laughs) okay? I'm inviting you into that. Let's see how much we can do to earn what God says he's freely given us, okay? And so here he is, far off, maintaining this vigilance. And then there was this verse, and it's the way I put it, the pure exuberance of his love and mercy. The pure exuberance of it, you think? Now, this is an older guy He's, because his sons are older, right? This is an older guy. It says in verse 20, his father saw him far off, felt compassion for him. Do you imagine the, how the heart of that father went out to his son? Such gratitude for him returning, such love, such desire and mercy, and he ran. I can't get a picture out of my mind. Me trying to run, um, you know. But the exuberance—it wasn't like, "Hey, we'll wait till he gets here, right?" Let's get everything. We'll wait till he gets. No, no, we're not doing that. We're running. And he embraced him and kissed him. I—it's I, I, going to be significant at the end, but I want to change the use a different translation for embraces. He hugged him. He hugged him, right? That expression of intimacy and love and desire and, you know, all of that. He hugged him. Now, who's he hugging? This guy didn't stop, get a shower, buy some Salvation Army clothes, put some boots on. This guy came straight from the pigsty, okay? Probably half or less dressed, no shoes, filthy, stinky. You know, Ben, one thing that runs up to him and says, hey, (laughs) it's so great you're back. Yeah, why don't you get a shower, get cleaned up, and then we'll have a party. No, there's this amazing exuberance of mercy and love, and he just threw his arms around him, and he kissed him right through the mud. (laughs) I don't know, folks. Doesn't it just sort of warm your heart a bit? You know, to think that that's a sort of an analogy for what is true to the power of whatever and the God who is love. And that, was, that would be something, right? Stop there. But no, he gets restored back into the family. Get him, the, get him a robe. No, get him the best robe. You want to know why his brother's a little ticked off? Right, okay, the best robe, really? And a ring indicating he's back into that place of privilege and, oh, and a really nice pair of shoes. Okay, I could probably live with that. Oh, wait a minute, we're gonna kill the fatted calf? Isn't that for like the big high religious ceremony? Isn't that, I mean, you wouldn't give me a goat and you're gonna give him the fatted calf and and we're gonna have a party? And there's going to be music and dancing. It's just so amazing to me that God includes that. Right? It's like music and dancing? I thought that was like like evil stuff. But there it is. They did it. Brought him in. Completely received him. Back. My son who was lost is found. He who was dead is now living again. Completely restored. And so that's like... The awesome part, right? I, I think there's, I don't know if they're the same, maybe a little lower, is how he goes out to his elder son who is sitting outside the party, fuming, stewing in his own resentment and anger. And, and he goes out to his son, knows his son is hurting, knows this has deeply affected him, pleads with him. As I was reading this, First Corinthians came back, you know, love is patience. Love is kind. He doesn't rebuke his son when, when there's this big outburst. I've been a slave and I've done, and you did nothing for me. There's no rebuke. Love is patient. Love is kind. I said this morning, and I think it's true. If those things are in our hearts and we need to say something, let's say it to God. Lord, this is how my brother hurt me. This is how deeply, profoundly I've been wounded by his Actions, his behavior. Lord, I bring it to you. I give it to you. You understand. You know. I mean, we sang the song, right? You understand. And then he affirms his son. Reminds him of who he is. And what his life is all about. You are always with me. That phrase right now for me is like so huge. With him. I didn't share this this morning, but here's my big, hairy, audacious prayer request, okay? And and if you could pray it for me, I'd appreciate it. I want to be able to say, with all sincerity, (laughs) I and my Father are one. I want to be with Him. I want to be engaged together with God in that kind of intimacy of union, fellowship, communion. Because one of the things I've recognized over the last several months, that's what he built me for. That's why he created me, a me. Not a Minions, you know. The, I said this morning, you know, the Minions, all those, you know, this funny movie, and you think, ah, maybe the artist cheated. And like the last back five rows are all the same guy. Okay, they're not. We just saw the movie a little while ago, they're not. But God didn't create Minions. He created you, and me, and you, and you, and each one of us unique, individual, irreplaceable. So he affirms that to his son, and he reasons with him, and he says, it was necessary. It was needful. We had to celebrate this. It was special. And what is he doing? He's nudging his elder son towards repentance and reconciliation. Now, the parable kind of ends as a teaser for whatever season two is, okay, where the question gets out, what happens next? Is the brother's repentance really genuine? Is is he done? Is he back with and involved with the father? And what about the elder brother? Does he ever get reconciled to his brother? Does he ever get reconciled to his father? He said some pretty nasty things there, okay? And so, Season two, for me, is the way home. How do we get home? By home, I'm not, again, talking about sort of that ambiguous, you know, return to proximity. I'm talking about engagement, wholehearted, whole-souled engagement with God again. Here's the little phrase, or here's the little quote from Dallas Willard that I pulled that little piece from about loving our lives and who they are. He's talking about the children of light, and he goes through It's just an amazing kind of explanation. He starts with thoughts. Because I'll tell you, everything that happened with those two sons started in their, in their feelings. And, he, and, and Willard says, let's talk about thoughts. God says, think on these things. Because thinking on these things will impact your feelings. They will shape your feelings. But he says this, the emotional life of the children of light is deeply characterized by love. That is how they invest in the emotional side of their being. They love lots of good things, and they love people. They love their lives and who they are. They are thankful for their life, even though it may contain many difficulties, even persecution and martyrdom. They receive all of it as God's gift, or at least as his allowance, where they will know his goodness and greatness and go on to live with him forever. And so joy and peace are with them even in the hardest of times. Even when suffering unjustly, because of what they have learned about God, they are confident and hopeful and do not indulge thoughts of rejection, failure, hopelessness, because they know better. What's that whole picture of that stinky, smelly, half-clothed sun being embraced and kissed by the Father, saying, I know better. I'm not gonna be rejected when I turn. He's gonna receive me. He's gonna run out to greet me. <laughs> right? No should've, no told you so's, no 12 steps, no, you know, we're not gonna, we don't, we, there's nothing we can do And I'm not diminishing 12 steps, by the way. Please. I think it's super helpful. But when it comes to God and our relationship with him, we don't have to climb a ladder back into his presence. We need to receive the hug and the kiss and the rope. Oh, and the ring, some shoes, some party, a little meat, some music. Dancing might work, Okay. Just receive it. Just receive it. So what's the way home? What do these people know, these child, children of light? They know their lives are inextricably bound together with God and his purpose and plan for all creation. All those dirty diapers. All those crazy people at work. All of, those, all of that kind of stuff. What is it? Those are the circumstances of life. But what is my life about? I and my father are one greater works will you do. Not out in the world of evangelism, in the sphere of those that you touch, in the sphere of those that you're in contact with. What are you doing in your house, with your family, with your, you know, what, in, the, in, in the community of God's people? They know their lives are inextricably bound. And they know they are uniquely created, eternal beings specifically designed to collaborate with and contribute to what God is doing in and around them. God made one of me to do what only I can do. And that's just stunning, right? We're sitting there thinking our little tiny thoughts about ourselves. And God's saying, wait a minute, I created you to do something only you can do. Here's one of the phrases from Dallas Willard that's just I'm fascinated with, right? There used to be that what would Jesus do? Right? It's like, okay, I'm in this predicament sitting here with these pigs, what would Jesus do? Right? And, and Dallas Willard turns it upside down and I think it's far more powerful because God created me, one of me. And his thing was, I want to live my life like Jesus would live my life if he were me. Okay? If he were me. So my temperament, my gifts, my blind spots, my, I'm going to live my life as he did right so i mean isn't that part of what the epistles are talking about it's the life of christ in me well i didn't disappear <laughs> okay it's the life of christ in me and through me and out to others so that weird personality and all of those kind of mm, right that make me unique somehow or another god is sanctifying transforming, projecting them that others can see Christ. See Christ. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I know. You're sitting there going, yeah, well, it's probably for that person. He's probably pretty good at it. No. That's what we were created for. Okay? That's who we are and what our life is. So how do we get back to that? How do we get home? It starts with repentance, right? I mean, that's what this chapter thing is about. Erdman says it's the complete change of orientation involving a judgment upon the past and the deliberate redirection for the future. From the, in the Greek words, when it's broken down, it's changed after being with to think differently. I hope this morning, being with all of us together and with God today, you had maybe a little different thought about these things, about who you are and about your life, about what God's about, who he is. Maybe you're thinking a little differently and you're sitting there going, I'm hungry. You know what? Act on that urge to repent, okay? we are having lunch here in just a bit, all right? Act on that urge. The second is forgiveness. I don't have time to go through the whole story today. There's a time in my life where I learned what it was not just to be forgiven, but to forgive. I believe God forgives us to bring us through to forgiving. Remember what he says, love as I have loved you? Ouch, there's another one we read past, really fast. Okay, here's the other one that's like, oh no, oh no, no, no. Forgive as I have forgiven you. I want you to think, just for a moment. Yep, that person that you're thinking about, and God's word to us is forgive as you have been forgiven. And I know, I'm, I can, oh, wow, I feel it. That ain't happening. Just not possible. Oh, I think it is. Are you forgiven? You know the sweetness of, of forgiveness? You've been forgiven to forgive. I got cheated out of this business thing, spent this whole thing, anyway, the whole deal, all oh, Christian partners. I said to the first group this morning, all the cutlery in my back, sanctified, okay, (laughs) been deposited by believers, okay. Anyway, we lost everything, my wife and I, she's sitting there, Pamela, we lost everything. I mean, we were down to the, really, I mean, it was one of those, give us today our daily bread. We were eating oatmeal and then she'd come back. She was teaching at a school, stained glass art glass. And she, hey, they brought some of, the, some of the ladies brought in some fruit and vegetables. Awesome! Fruit in the oatmeal! Not doing vegetables in the oatmeal. Not doing that. <laughs> okay. And, and, I, and, and it just happened that it, this has been after a period where the fellowship we were involved in and the ministry we were involved in collapsed in a horrible heap, a total dumpster fire, went away. Told somebody, I said, I've been. Building God's house for 30 years. It's time to build my own. I went off to start the businesses and the whole thing. I knew when I said it, that was like from the pit of hell. But you know what? You get in that place where you're sitting with the pigs and you just don't see any other deal, right? And so we get to this whole place. There's the betrayal, the whole deal. And I'm sitting there and going, okay, I might as well get back to God. Reading my Bible, I don't know even what I was reading. All of a sudden, just pouring through me pouring through me just pouring like a river praying for these guys my partners for their blessing for their family for their prosperity for their joy for kids i mean, just pouring through me like a river and and I'm just like whoa that was awesome and but it didn't stop two three four times a day that river would flow through me and then it was weeks and it was months, it was a couple of months it was pouring through me and I go, what am I supposed to be learning from this? Forgive as you've been forgiven. Release that person from your intended consequences. From your intended outcome. Because you're not releasing them, you're releasing you. You're turning it over to God. You're putting his hands, he's going, Lord, you deal with that situation. I've been forgiven. Thank you, Lord. I was that guy. And you ran. And you hugged me. And you gave me a kiss. And you restored me. Okay? I want to I wanna be like Jesus. <laughs> right? I want to be like Jesus. And we got verses and stuff. I'm just going to share it with you. The last thing is embracing the truth. Embrace the truth about who God says you are. We all believe that evil lies went through this whole thing, it was called an exercise where you're supposed to identify your desert lies, right? Remember the desert, they're there, go in, no, we're all like grasshoppers, okay? And they got raid And, and we're not gonna make it. So there's those lies, right? We're not enough, not good enough, holy enough, spiritual enough, pretty enough, smart enough, athletic enough, all those things. And you know what's crazy? I mean, that's all part of that old man, that old nature, right? And yet we still carry the bruises and the wounds because of that behavior so deeply ingrained in us. But we're entirely new creations. I have a new nature. I have, a, I have the spirit of God in me. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. Yet there's still that bruising that has its impact. And we have plenty of receipts to verify, right? It's like plenty. I, I and I and I and I and I and <clears> I. <throat> when we got through this thing, the guy, one of the guys in the group said, so what I'm hearing you say is you are so ugly that even God can't get through. And I thought, you know, it's true. I've been a Christian for 40 years. Still in the deepest recess of my heart, that's what I believe about myself. And I'm still doing things to try and earn what's been freely given. And, and, and so the other side of the exercise, so what's true? What's true? What's really true? And I was reading, in the, again, reading something, and, and it used this little phrase. We are enfolded in God's total embrace. You think about that. This isn't an Aunt Susie hug. Okay, we're hi, how are you? Okay? No, we're enfolded in God's total embrace. And that meant five things for me. Okay? I'm just gonna mention them really quick. We won't look at the verses. First thing, and, and and the association I made with this was the hug. Okay, it's not getting hugged. We are in the hug. We don't get to escape the hug. You say, well, I'm leaning out. No. Sorry, God's arms are a little too long for that. Okay? Because the first thing in that hug is we're secure. No one, no thing, not even my greatest sin can separate me from the love of God. Romans 9, 38 and 39, you can look up a bunch of other verses. Second thing, I am significant. My life is significant because it is intertwined. It's it's inseparable from the life of God. And he's got this whole big thing called eternity and, and creation and a whole bunch of awesome, neat stuff that needs to be done. And guess what? I can do it together with him. I was created for happy collaboration with him in good things. I'm going to be doing awesome stuff throughout eternity. That is so cool. Okay? It's significant. I am accepted. We all want to be accepted. God built us for community. I want to be accepted. I want to be included in the group. Okay? And I am. Ephesians 1 5 and 6. I am loved. Okay. We got that on every banner that has anything to do with Christ. You know, God loves you. Yes. And you know what? I want to step into the reality of that. I want to lean into that hug. I want to lean into that father's heart. I want to hear it beat. Because it's beating for me. For John 3:16. And here's the one I struggle with all the time. I am light. Okay, the hug, what does it say? I like you, <laughs> I, I, I have an affinity towards you. I, I appreciate you, we have good times together. And the way that this struck me was in Luke when they're walking through the grain fields and, the, and uh, Luke 6 verse one and they're taking the grain and, and the vultures are all going, oh, you can't do that on the Sabbath. No, we're gonna swoop in, kill your fun. And I got to thinking, wait a minute, what were they doing? There was no meeting, no healing, no sermons, no. It was just Jesus with the disciples enjoying the day, walking in the wheat fields. He just liked being with them. And this is awesome when you think of who they were, right? He just liked being with them. The hug <laughs> I'm secure, I'm significant, I'm accepted. I'm loved and I am liked by God. <laughs> doesn't mean I don't have things to learn, so he could, I mean, but he likes me, okay? And we're going to work on it together. So the question is, are you ready to come home? <sighs> really come home. Not just going through the motions, putting on a happy face, trying to conform and earn what has been freely given to you. Are you ready to be with him, joyfully engaged in all he is doing in us and through us? It starts with a change of mind, coming to our senses, regardless of what motivates it. A willingness to be forgiven, but also to forgive. And finally, it's leaning into the hug. <laughs> Lean into the hug today, okay? Just feel it. Here's heartbeat. Feel the strength in his arms. The love for him as he looks at you. You know, not askance, not in disappointment. He likes you. Okay? Like him back. All <laughs> right? Can we say it like that? Anyway, well, Lord bless you. It's just been really, really terrific to be with you.